Hey everyone, and welcome to At The Letters. Ben Nicholson-Smith here with you, Arden Zwelling with us as well. The episode today produced by Mike Rogerson and by Nick Andrade. So thanks for being with us today. Uh, happy Pride Month to everyone listening. And we have a lot of baseball to get to. I mean, the team is playing a little bit better, which uh, for the Blue Jays is very good and very necessary. Uh, we're seeing some really encouraging performances from people like Nate Pearson, um, who seems to be stepping up. Alejandro Kirk pressed into duty uh, with Danny Jansen on the injured list. He's hitting great. We'll get to that. We'll get to Kevin Kiermeyer as well. But Arden, we're going to start with the Anthony Bass situation because this was uh, obviously big news, continues to be big news around the team. Um, the Blue Jays had an off day on Monday after playing 17 games in 17 days. And Anthony Bass on Monday shared a video endorsing some anti-LGBTQ plus um, hatred, essentially, um, a boycott uh of brands including Target, including Bud Light. Within the clip, uh, the speaker is saying this is evil, this is demonic. So this is some pretty hateful stuff that Anthony Bass is sharing. Then the next day, he shows up at Rogers Center, offers a very brief scripted apology uh, that lasted 30 seconds. He did not take questions afterwards. And it began with, I'll make this quick, So those are the facts. I mean, uh, as for where the Blue Jays go from here, as for what um, to make of this situation, there are a lot of directions we can go. uh, But those are the facts to kind of start this thing off. Yeah. And I think that another uh, something that I believe that I would like to establish up front is that the video that Anthony Bass shared on his Instagram story uh, is utterly asinine. It's like absolutely ridiculous and it's hateful. Um, it, like the at the crux of this is uh, a retailer that has released a line of clothing in support of Pride Month. You know, we're talking about pieces of fabric that display positive LGBT messaging. So to suggest that that is in any way demonic or Satanist is to me galactically stupid and hurtful and callous and uh that's that's another to me a fact that we should establish for sure for sure absent the editorializing of this account that bass shared and that bass himself also shared it's pretty unremarkable right brands are selling some products with pride uh logos on them i mean seems to make sense to me (laughs) it's kind of unremarkable you know in the same way that the blue jays have uh pride events planned that's great if anthony bass had not um had not shared this content and had not, um, you know, created this this um, situation around the Blue Jays, we probably wouldn't be talking about this today. It would just be, hey, that's great. There's Pride Month, um, and you know, we would be talking about about the Blue Jays. But instead, Bass is making this situation a, a distraction. Uh, he's he's amplifying hate around a group um, that's already marginalized and already faces a disproportionate amount of hate crimes. So. It's really damaging, and you know this is where I'll dip into editorializing a little bit. If Anthony Bass has really had a change of heart in the 24 hours after posting that video, and if he has really thought this through and sat down and realized that what he was doing was really uh, problematic and, um, and really damaging, then 
issuing a 30-second apology did not convey that. He did not successfully um, convey any sort of real contrition because there wasn't a willingness to answer for what he did. Well, and like it starts with the act itself, right? Like uh, Anthony Bass is uh, like, he's not a rookie. He's not like 22. He's a 35-year-old man who's been in this league for a very long time. This is a very veteran professional athlete who has played a long time both in the United States and overseas. He understands his position as a public figure. Uh, He understands he is in control of his social channels. He understands that a lot of people will see what he uh, amplifies, as you put it rightly, on his Instagram. So he has to understand that by sharing something like that on social media, he is putting his name behind it. He is helping spread it. He's amplifying it. In this case, the message that he spread and put his name behind was hateful and targeted a marginalized community that's been fighting an extremely uphill battle to gain equal rights for a very long time. So like there's there's no mistake here. Like there's no whoopsies. I just think that at the root of it, it was just a really callous thing to do. Like, I think it's just, it's closed minded. It's cruel. It's thoughtless. I think it demonstrates like a, a lack of compassion and understanding for others. And that's before you even get to, as you said, the very terse apology. Yeah, absolutely. It's really, it just lands so hollow, you know, to, to quote unquote, apologize and then just sidestep away. All right. I I paid my penance, you know, that's done. Let's move on. Is the, is the subtext there? I don't have anything else to say is the subtext there. And clearly if you're sharing that on Monday, and Tuesday trying to sidestep it and back out of it, there is more to say. It's not something that just disappears in 24 hours. And, you know, maybe, you know, the Blue Jays talk about arming him with resources. Maybe he really will take advantage of those. I mean, who knows, right? It's possible. But we, it's so much less believable that he's going to attempt to do that when he doesn't explain, when he doesn't offer context, when he doesn't get into any of the nuance surrounding this. And so it really stretches belief that there has been a change of heart here. And so it's, it just lands hollow and, and you know, not to, I just, uh, he hasn't pitched yet, but I'm very curious to see what response he gets from Blue Jays fans. Yeah. And that, that would have been my question for, for Anthony Bass, if he had taken them, right? Like, cause I, like, I don't really have a question pertaining to his personal views or values right like i don't i don't really have a desire to hear what he thinks about sexuality or religion or or anything like that even like just more generally i just don't really seek those viewpoints like on those topics from professional athletes in general but particularly with somebody who shares something like this on instagram like i just don't need to hear what you think about those topics but i would have been curious to hear some particulars of what using the Blue Jays resources to better educate myself. I think that was a quote, what that looks like, like what shape that takes over the coming days, weeks and months, because like, look, he apologized for it and he did own up to it. And if you felt that his apology was unsatisfying, like I think it's more than fair to feel that way, just considering the way that it 
played out. He did apologize and he did admit what he did. I think what leaves kind of an unsatisfying taste, at least my mouth certainly, is that he didn't offer any insight into like what happens next and what the process afterwards of him growing or bettering himself or learning or being more open-minded going forward of what that actually looks like. It's so nebulous and vague to just say, I'm going to utilize the resources to better educate myself okay what does that mean what does that look like like there's so much hanging in that balance so i think that there's you know very good reason to be very unsatisfied with the extent to which he addressed it exactly and you know it's it's not for me to say whether that apology is sufficient or not um you know but at the same time 30 seconds like 30 seconds is is pretty brief and like the next time you know you just think about it in any context right if you offer a 30 second apology for something and then say, no, that's it. I'm not talking about this anymore. What if his teammates had questions? Did he take questions from them? Was he accountable to them? Or did he say the same thing to his teammates? We don't know these things because Anthony Bass didn't speak about it. So we don't know if he was willing to answer questions that his teammates might have had, that his coaching staff might have had. We don't know this. So we're left to guess. Um, John Schneider, and this is a secondary concern, right? Because it's obviously much more important than baseball it's much more important than the dynamics within the blue jays clubhouse but you know down the line guess who has to answer john schneider has to answer john schneider just had his first off day in 17 days you know his team's starting to play a little bit better (laughs) instead of being able to chill or maybe prepare for the brewers john schneider then answers questions now that's part of his job as a, a spokesman for the blue jays and he handled it well But that's not ideal for him to have to answer these questions. It's not ideal for the rest of the Blue Jays now to be under the microscope with these things and to have to take time out of their day to listen to a a half-baked apology. Or or we don't know the extent of the apology because, again, Bass didn't answer questions. But now they're taking time of their day. So it ends up being a distraction for the team on the field as well. Yeah, I mean, full credit to John Schneider for the job that he did, like both in his office filled with reporters, we were both in there and then in front of like the array of cameras that showed up at Roger Center on Tuesday, like he's a really good manager for a variety of reasons. But I think he's actually elite among managers in terms of the forward facing spokesperson role. He is just so good and so consistent in like in that facet of it. But he also has a game to prepare for. Like he also doesn't need to be spending uh, a large portion of his pregame conducting crisis management on behalf of a reliever. So I thought that that, yeah, put John in a, in a really tough spot. And it like it gets back to what I was saying before, like Anthony Bass is a 35 year old man and a veteran of many, many professional seasons. And like you and I, like have, we've both interacted with him and know him. He's very confident in front of the media. He's very competent in front of the media as well. He's very capable of answering questions. And he, I honestly really do think he could have navigated that scenario but he he chose not to but like also like it's this classic thing that people get wrong about free speech right like people really confuse like what free speech is like you do have like the right to speak freely and to believe like whatever you want and to put your thoughts out publicly but that doesn't shield you from the consequences of what you have 
said, right? Like that doesn't shield you from, as you mentioned, if a bunch of people at Rogers Center want to boo you, like that is part of it. Like that doesn't stop anyone from coming back at you and flooding your social channels or whatever it may be and saying, hey, what you're saying is actually really hateful and wrong. And we disagree with this vehemently as a public figure, as a professional athlete, as somebody with a platform is going to be like answering the questions for what you like have put out on social media, what you have amplified, what you have put like your name behind. Like that does not violate your rights to free speech. That is a consequence of what you have done. So, you know, Anthony Bass really did skirt that by not taking questions. That's right. I mean, he is allowed to post that on his Instagram. No one's saying otherwise. He's allowed to you know, there are consequences to that. And he's an entertainer. I mean, this is this is the reality. People pay to watch Blue Jays games. People spend their time, their money watching Blue Jays games. He is part of that entertainment product. And so uh, part of the obligation of that is you are going to be held accountable for the things that you say and do. You know, we've seen that in the past with Kevin Pillar when he made a homophobic slur in 2017. He answered questions for it. You know, Escobar, back in 2011 or 2012, he answered questions for that. Anthony Bass is not answering questions. I mean, he's hiding behind a statement that he may or may not have written, that he may or may not have memorized, that he just wanted to get over with, by all indications. So it's pretty flimsy. You know, we're not talking about an MVP candidate right here. We're talking about a guy who has really struggled this season who was a, a part of the loss for the Blue Jays in game two of the wild card series against Seattle. It's not like he's, you know, it's not like the Blue Jays are about to, you know, sign him to a six-year extension and and put him up on the level of excellence in 10 years' time. He's a pretty marginal player on this team. Yeah, you know, and it's like this um, connects to what I was saying before about how, you know, it's the right of people who disagree with the message that you are <laughs> distributing to, to push back on that it's the right as well of his employer to decide whether the messages that he's sharing run counter to their own values whether or not they want this individual to be a member of their organization like you think about like the blue jays an organization that publicly touts the importance of diversity and inclusion and values in character like they have to reckon with the reality of someone who spreads a hateful message like that wearing their uniform being on television representing their organization every night so if they decide to you know say well, yeah we, we don't really want this person representing us anymore like that's within their rights in response to this as well like i believe in in allowing people room to grow you know like i believe in keep giving people room to make mistakes, room to, to learn from them. Like, I don't really, I don't seek to like strengthen the divisiveness here. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I think you, you have to be understanding at least of maybe how people came to believe the things that they believe. Like, I do think that stuff like this is typically a lot more nurture than nature. 
Um, and I think that a lot of it can be environmental, where you grew up, how you've been educated, who you've had exposure to. I guess maybe this is like a little idealistic, but I would hope that there's a possibility of people discovering new perspectives and being more open-minded going forward when they go through things like this. I don't believe in just like strict ostracization. <laughs> I believe in allowing people to get better and to grow. So that's something else that the Blue Jays will have to consider. But look, as it stands right now, Anthony Bass is still a member of this organization. And when you heard John Schneider talk about it last night, as I, as I did as well, because we were both there, he said, yeah, we, we believe that he is contrite. And we believe that for him, this will not just end with his brief apology today, that he is going to grow from this and get better. That seems to be what the Blue Jays organization believes. Well, and I hope he's out there on Pride uh, Night holding the rainbow flag. And I hope he's draping it on his shoulders. And I hope he's being an ambassador. And I don't think we should, you know, close the door to that possibility. Again, the Blue Jays know more about this because they actually heard from Anthony Bass. We heard a 30-second snippet. (laughs) So we don't know where he's at. All we can do is guess. And based on the information that we have, the guesses are going to lead us to a certain place. I agree with you that... A lot of it is environmental. At the same time, he's 35. And if you're 35 years old, you've had the chances to broaden your horizons, especially as a a person who's been employed in multiple countries and multiple cities, certainly been exposed to the world beyond his um, origins and the chance to have those views evolve. Now, hey, 35, it's, you know, you still have a lot of years ahead of you. So we would want to live in a world where people can evolve those views and grow. And I hope that happens for Anthony Bass. I really do. I I think at the same time, if that has happened, he has not done a good job of communicating that because 30 seconds is just not enough to get into the nuance of any of this. Yeah, and that's why it's unsatisfying because there's just so much left hanging in the balance that that we don't know because we haven't had a you know a really fulsome opportunity to hear from him on it. Maybe we will, right? Look, it's been 24 hours here, right? So, like there, like you said, there there will be opportunities. But to your point as well, like this is Anthony Bass's, regardless of where he grew up or who he's been around in his life. Like this is his second stint in Toronto as a member of the Toronto Blue Jays. Like you should have a pretty good idea of kind of the values in Canada and in Toronto and of what's important to um, this fan base, which by the way is like incredibly diverse and inclusive and wonderful. Like I, like I almost don't, you know, I almost want to like stop talking about Anthony Bass and like start talking just about like all the things that are great about Toronto and about, inclusion and about what the Blue Jays do at Rogers Center like you mentioned like Pride Weekend coming up I was talking about this on Blue Jay Central with Jamie Campbell last night I'm going to be doing the sideline work um, that weekend it's June 9th and and 10th uh, is when the Blue Jays are kind of celebrating Pride Weekend as a part of Pride Month um, and I'm really looking forward to it like we're right there in the fans it's like when we're doing Blue Jays Central like there are fans all around us and you just look around and you're like wow what a cool fan base of people who are uh, from all walks of life and all backgrounds and all ages and all beliefs and like everybody gets to come together and have a great time at the ballpark and everybody is welcome and I and I would hope that there aren't people that believe that way in spite of what one reliever has shared on on social media i would hope that everybody in toronto feels welcome and encouraged uh to come out on pride weekend which i think is going to be really cool i think about it like i do think that the blue jays organization and people within it are very thoughtful about 
this stuff. And, you know, I, I would hope that, you know, the discussion around inclusion and, uh, you know, LGBT issues at the Rogers Center is a lot more positive going forward than it is in these 48 hours. For sure. For sure. And I know, of course, we have tons of ATL listeners within the LGBTQ plus community. You definitely have a place on ATL and, um, you know, within Rogers Center, within the Blue Jays world. Um, I hope that that's clear. And yeah, this Anthony Bass stuff is just, it is really disheartening. All right. Well, we will come back. We'll talk some baseball when we continue on At The Letters. Listen to At The Letters ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. All right, welcome back to At The Letters. And we have a lot of on-the-field baseball to get to here, Arden. Um, The Blue Jays, despite the distraction that Anthony Bass created for himself and his teammates... Uh, have played actually some pretty good baseball of late. We were there, uh, both of us, in Minneapolis covering the Blue Jays against the Twins. They won two of three. It was a pretty closely contested series. I mean, those were not easy games. And then they come back to Toronto on Tuesday. We're recording this Wednesday morning, by the way. And so that this is after the very easy 7-2 to win that the Blue Jays pulled off over another first-place team in the Milwaukee Brewers. And I feel like we say this every week, and it's kind of pointless to, to say it, but man, if the Blue Jays were in one of the central divisions, they would just <laughs> coast to a division title. Yeah, if the Twins were in the AL East, they're a last-place team, and they're like, what, a half dozen games under five hundred. Did you also get the sense as we were leaving Target Field uh, on the weekend that we might be going back there in the first week of October? Well, someone has to win the Central, right? So that's a team that's probably not getting a bye in the first round of the playoffs, meaning they would probably play a wildcard team. Now, the division winner would play the third wildcard team. The Jays obviously have visions of being maybe the first or second wildcard team. But at this point, they have a long way to go. They are not in that position as we speak. They're not in playoff position as we speak. They're 29 and 26, and so they have a lot of work ahead. And maybe that will end up back at Target Field. I mean, stranger things have happened. And, you know, the idea of facing Joe Ryan and Pablo Lopez and Sonny Gray in an elimination series, it's not that fun of an idea. Even though the Twins aren't that great, those pitchers are pretty good. Any team that gets to the postseason is going to have likely two very good starters atop its rotation. Uh, and if they've kept them healthy and effective towards the end of the season, you're going to have to face them, right? Like it was the same thing last year with uh, with the Mariners. Like you got Robbie Ray and Luis Castillo, right? Like you know, Robbie Ray, Cy Young winner, Luis Castillo, like could be this year's <laughs> Cy Young winner. So like extremely good pitchers. Uh, and it's just kind of funny to be sitting here in, uh, you know, we're about to begin June, but I still don't really foresee the Blue Jays overcoming like a 10 game deficit with the Rays in the AL East. Like that's just going to be so, so challenging. I think there are probably if you chart every possible outcome, maybe in somewhere like three to 4% of them, the Blue Jays could do it. So I think it's like possible, but I think it's extremely unlikely there. Maybe there's a world where the 
Rays collapse and the Yankees can't get healthy and the Red Sox go away and the Orioles become middling and the Jays surge <laughs> and play on like a 100 win pace from here on out and they get into first place. But I'm just, I wouldn't be banking on that. So I'm looking at this, the Jays as a likely wild card team. Um, so if you give the Rays the East with probably a really good record, one of Houston or Texas gets the West, likely with a pretty good record, and then Minnesota by default is in the Central, I would say that your buys are going to be Tampa Bay and one of Texas or Houston. So that means Minnesota's hosting one wildcard series, and then you look at the rest of the wildcard standings and how those line up. Is it Baltimore in first place? Is it the Yankees? Is it Houston um for the Blue Jays it's almost like yeah probably going to Minnesota or maybe you finish second in the wild card standings and you're going to Camden or Yankee Stadium to Minute Maid Park I don't know if there's <laughs> any other outcomes here that look super realistic as we sit here right now Hey, I mean, watch out for the Tigers. They are putting up a fight against the Twins. I mean, they, in the AL Central, they might be a threat to win the division. I mean, that's the state of things in the AL Central. But yeah, I think the Twins um, certainly could be uh, a team that the Jays end up matching up against uh, in the future. I, I agree with you on the Rays, and it's unfortunate for the Blue Jays. And of course, all you do now is you just continue playing the games in front of you. Um, I think there's a chance that, you know, George Springer will outperform Jose Siri from this point. It hasn't happened so far necessarily, but that could happen, um, should happen going forward. Um, but the Jays just have so much work to do, and the Rays remain a really good team. They have Tyler Glasnow back at this point. You you have McClanahan, who's obviously one of the best. It's, it's a really, really tough team. This might be a year where the Blue Jays are battling for a wild card. And there's a lot to be said for the school of thought that's, hey, just get in and see what happens. It didn't work for the Blue Jays last year. didn't work for the Blue Jays in 2020. It doesn't mean it won't work for them in 2023. I mean, we don't know what the future holds, but to get to where the Jays want to go, they are going to have to beat so many good pitchers and so many good teams. And it's going to have to happen all month for them to have any chance of uh, achieving their ultimate goal. Yeah, that's my thought. Just get in, right? Like we're the Phillies, one of you know the the best team in the National League last year, right? And they went to a, a World Series the year the Washington Nationals won the World Series. Were they the best team uh, in baseball that year? Not not in my estimation. With the, it's just a fun little tournament at the end of the year. So just get in, and when you get in, have two starters at the top of your rotation that like are really good and who you really trust, and then a third that you're like okay you can go two trips through we're happy with that that's what you need as far as starting pitching goes in your bullpen have two arms you really really trust and then a third who you're like yep we can give you some leverage that's really all you need in a playoff bullpen it seems and then with your offense just hope that you're hot at that time just hope the guys are healthy and clicking and rolling because we've seen offenses get hot we see offenses slump like i don't know if there's that much um predicting when those things are going to happen players streak and players slump they ebb and they flow and you just hope that your timing makes sense on the offensive side of the ball so that maybe you you're having a big power surge at that time or maybe you're doing what the blue jays did on tuesday and you're hitting like you got 14 hits and like 11 of them are singles and six of those are on the ground and they're finding holes and you're just putting the ball in play and running like a 500 babip as as a lineup and having success that way i think that's really kind of the formula for success in the postseason 
Yeah, whatever works, really. And, you know, it's obviously early to try to pinpoint the standings, but we have seen this team play for two months. So one third of the way into the season, roughly speaking here, in what ways is this team different than what you expected? And what's, in what ways is this team maybe better, worse? Like, what have the last two months told you about these Jays? I think we've seen less slug than I expected. And I do think that that is going to come back in a pretty big way with the summer. And I think we all sort of under handicapped the Blue Jays' power potential a little bit this year with the, the moves that they made in the offseason, the way they sort of prioritized diversifying skill sets rather than just like lining up the nine dudes who can all like barrel the ball <laughs> as well as possible. Uh, so, But I, I still have been a little bit surprised by the lack of slug starting pitching has been like more or less as expected just in a different way where it's jose brios has been a lot more reliable than maybe we expected coming into the season and alec manoa has been a lot less reliable than we expected coming into the season so like though those two just kind of flip-flop you see kikuchi's been a fine number five kevin gosman is a legitimate ace in this league like and i don't say that word lightly like he is an ace in baseball and chris bassett has just been dependable honestly like that kind of fulcrum in the middle of the rotation innings eater veteran guy who's gonna have his uh, poor starts but a guy who more often than not is gonna is gonna give you a quality one in the bullpen like it's always very volatile and you know things are always sort of shifting around but i think that as we talked about last week like there are very good raw materials here for a good bullpen going forward. You're just trying to get certain guys right and trying to find the right roles for certain individuals and the right matchups and trying to get them into positions in which they can succeed. Uh, And then the biggest honestly worry going forward is just depth, a lack of upper level triple a depth, basically all around the roster, like starting pitching relief position players everywhere. There's a real lack of depth right now, and that could be troublesome if the Blue Jays catch a really unfortunate run with health. Yeah, that's for sure. Just quickly on Kevin Gosman, because he was my Cy Young pick going into the season. He looks the part. And as another quick aside, it's just so funny looking at comparing social media presences. You know, we talked about Anthony Bass in this first segment. Kevin Gosman wakes up on Wednesday morning and just tweets a photo of a moose on a roof that he sees in his neighborhood. <laughs> it's like, you know, there's uh, that's not going to cost too many headaches for anyone with the Blue Jays, or more importantly, in any marginalized communities. I think you make a lot of good points there. I think the depth one is interesting to kind of pick up on, because we've talked so much about slug and, and offense with this team. Clearly, there has been a lack of that. It's going to be really important for them to get more of it. And largely, that's going to have to come from their existing players. Um, You're not going to go and trade for 240 homer bats. You need that to come from Flatty, from Springer. Springer's been great in May, but you need that to come from your existing personnel. But the depth, like going into the season, I look back at this the other day. I wrote an article in March during spring training about what the Blue Jays would like to see in the way of breakout performances. And, And you look at the best teams in baseball every year, they have breakout performers, guys who come out of nowhere and end up having really good seasons. And so in March, I identified some players and said, hey, if these guys can click, and this was after talking to people around the Jays, coaches, players, whatever the case, um, to identify some players who might be able to um, burst onto the scene a little bit. And looking back at it, the names that were Mitch White, who has yet to pitch at all for this team, Zach Pop, 
Um, you know, maybe a power sinker guy who can be an impact arm in the bullpen. Hasn't really happened. Kevin Biggio, could he be the super utility guy? Hasn't really happened, although he is playing better in the last week or so. Drew a walk and reached base three times uh, in Tuesday's game. And Nate Pearson. And Nate Pearson has emerged as a breakout type player and looks like an impact player. But that's kind of one for four. And as the Jays move ahead here, the next four months of the season, they're going to need someone else to step up internally. Because, yeah, you can go out and we'll spend a ton of time on ATL, I'm sure, talking about trade possibilities, maybe as soon as today. But, you know, you're not going to solve everything through trades. Maybe you solve one or two questions through trade if you have a good trade deadline. But a lot of it has to be internal. And, And I think if they could get another player or two to step up, that would go a long way toward them having the kind of season they really want to have. Yeah, I probably would have uh, I would have chosen Varsho, right? As a guy who could have taken a jump in uh, his age, 26, 27 season, whatever he is. Like, obviously, he had shown some, some potential in the past, and he was actually showing a little bit of breakout potential in the first couple weeks of the season, and then things really didn't go very well for him after that. But, uh, like, he's someone who I would have picked as, like, hey, if the Blue Jays get... The obvious, like the defensive contributions, which are consistent, the base running, which is consistent, and then just more offense than he's provided in the past. That would have been my pit, my my breakout pick. And the Blue Jays haven't gotten that to this point. Maybe they do over the second half of the season. It's funny, like Kevin Kiermeyer has been the breakout <laughs> as a what thirty four year old veteran, uh, you know, of, of many many seasons, like having one of his best years of his career to this point. That's sort of been your breakout offensive player this year. It was looking like Matt Chapman in the first month of the season, and then he's come back down to earth in a in a pretty considerable way here in May. So uh, yeah, no, I agree with you. Like they they need they need something. Um, whether that could be even from like within the system, like an Addison Barger forcing his way to the majors, but things haven't gone well for him when he's been healthy, and then he's been hurt. Spencer Horowitz has been hitting very well at AAA, and I think that like his opportunity will come if Brandon Belt had to hit the IL. I think Spencer Horowitz would be the guy to come up, or if Vladdy had to hit the IL, Spencer Horowitz would be that guy. You haven't seen like a ton of power from him to this point, but you do see like pretty good understanding of the strike zone and pitch recognition very good competitiveness in his plate appearances good barrel control he's just not a big power guy like you you ask around about like the max exit velos with him and you're looking at 107 108 like you're just not you're not getting into like the realm of some of the really big power hitters in this league who are well into the 113 114 range like spencer horowitz just doesn't have that in his bat but he does give you a really consistent plate approach doesn't take a plate appearance off sees a ton of pitches obviously can can play first base like that's the the guy that you're looking at this year is like maybe you make an impact over the second half because there just has been a real lack of other good stories in this system at the upper levels this year that's what you need like if you want to win it all if you want to be the team that's the last one standing there's going to be attrition there are going to be guys who underperform on every team so you need someone you need multiple players to step up and so far they've had pearson another name that i listed in that story i'm just remembering was otto lopez and otto lopez hasn't performed at triple a to say nothing of the major leagues then you get to ricky tiedemann we thought maybe by this point you know end of may you know would i have been stunned if he had made it to the major leagues no 
but he has battled a biceps issue, um, clearly not on the brink of, of joining this team. And, and look, they've had a healthy starting five to this point, which they are the only team in Major League Baseball that has relied only on five starters. As we record this right now, each of their five starters has made 11 starts. So that is remarkable consistency from their rotation. Yeah, I talked to Otto when he was up on the taxi squad recently, and he was just like confounded with the start to the year that he'd had. Because remember, he had such a good spring training. He had a great WBC, and he goes to Buffalo to begin the year, and he was telling me, I'm doing everything the same at the plate. Like, same stance, same setup. I feel like I'm seeing the ball the same way. Like, I'm just not seeing the results. And I think he had to kind of battle that mental aspect of it a little bit and that frustration and he's started to come out of it a bit in may and i think you're starting to see a bit more of the potential but you're right even the blue jays have sort of shown you a little bit how they feel about Otto lopez right now and some of their roster decisions like ernie clements on this team today as it pertains to nate pearson like the outing that he had on tuesday uh against the milwaukee brewers was like holy crap over two innings and yes like think about quality of competition but also also think about quality of stuff that Nate Pearson showed you in that outing. He sat 99 over two innings in that outing. His fastball was like absolutely dominant. It was really all that he needed, but then he's flipping up sliders that he's landing for strikes. Four called strikes with his slider that day. Uh, two called strikes with his curveball. In his second inning, he strikes out the side and he has a different out pitch each time climbs the ladder 100 for a strikeout lands a nasty slider for a called second strikeout and then uses the curveball to get swing and miss for his third strikeout i mean that is like pretty unbelievable stuff pretty unbelievable ability that is something that can look really good down the stretch and in the postseason as a multi-inning leverage piece uh when like because we know like as the season goes on and particularly into the postseason even the starters who you trust the most their length of outings shrink like you start you go to your bullpen a, a little bit earlier than you do earlier in the in in the season nate pearson could be a real weapon in a variety of ways whether it's like being that bridge guy you know pitching a sixth and seventh inning or if like in minnesota as we saw you want to give him the eighth with a two-run lead and just let him air it out for one inning and get it to jordan romano in the ninth if nate pearson's going to pitch like that it's a real weapon for this team if he's going to pitch like that, he's one of their most important arms, period, for the end of the rest of the season. I mean, he would be, obviously, Romano, uh, obviously, your five starting pitchers, and then it would be Swanson and Pearson. Meza may be in that discussion. He, he is putting himself in a, in a place where he will be in the most important innings that the Blue Jays pitch as they try to lock down a playoff spot, as they try to win playoff series. Nate Pearson is putting himself in that equation, and it hasn't taken long. His debut was late April. We're recording this in late May, but I have full conviction after watching him in his last two appearances that he belongs in high-leverage spots. I mean, you're, you talked about the stuff. It's been there. His demeanor is there. Uh, it seems like the preparation has been there. All of these boxes that you would look to check, um, seemingly pretty even-keeled, um, not not necessarily keeping a pretty low profile, it seems, for Nate Pearson. But hey, it's working. He is, uh, like you say, is it a setup reliever? Is it a bridge reliever? If he's throwing 100 over the plate consistently with great breaking stuff, it doesn't matter what role you put him in. He is going to be a very, very important part of this team. 
Yeah, it seems like he's sorted out his mental approach a little bit, his mindset, his mentality, what he carries from the bullpen to the mound, how he goes about things in between his outings. Um, you know, I do think there are still some uh, like literal approach things the Blue Jays would like him to work on, i.e. like if he has a multiple run lead, like why not just throw 100 mile an hour fastballs, man? Like maybe don't mess around with, you got two strikes on a guy and you're flipping in sliders and curveballs and you miss with them and you walk them just use your fastball it's dominant and just like get quick efficient outs be aggressive with like know the situations when you should be more aggressive with your fastball and know the situations when it makes sense to to land a, a slider or a curveball or to go to those pitches right so i do think there are some little refinements there going forward but like you mentioned it two weeks ago i was like put this guy in leverage the stuff's legit he needs to be there it was aggressive right and the blue jays were clearly a lot more deliberate with it but you can kind of see it as you if you track like the fangraphs leverage index of his appearances over the last few weeks just steadily increasing steadily increasing steadily increasing like the blue jays have just introduced a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more uh where now i mean in in his last like 10 days he's had his two highest leverage index outings of his career so it's we're we're getting to the territory now where yeah like when you look at the back end of this bullpen you look at who john schneider really tr trusts in like tight late games against really good teams you're talking about jordan romano eric swanson and nate pearson in that order yeah i mean that's that's a great uh, sign of what pearson's been able to accomplish in the last month or so sounds like uh your uh approach as armchair bench coach has been aligned with the the blue jays there no i was more i was like be more aggressive the blue jays were more <laughs> deliberate and they were right to me. the jays are too cautious for Arda <laughs> with nate pearson i didn't uh -oh. say that i said they were right <laughs> all right well i'll stop putting words in your mouth and we'll take a break and we'll come back we'll talk about kevin kiermeyer and alejandro kirk when we continue Welcome back to At The Letters. One more segment as we dive into a few of the particulars around this team here. And we're going to touch on Alejandro Kirk. We're going to touch on Kevin Kiermeyer, how they proceed um, as there are some injuries on this on this Blue Jays team that shape um, what things look like for Kiermeyer and what things look like for Kirk, who's obviously in a bigger role with Danny Jansen's sideline. But before we get to that, let's start with Vlad Jr. I mean, this is a guy we talk about all the time, Arden. Ever since he was a prospect in AA, we've been talking about Vlad Jr. He's an essential, essential part of this team. And if you look at the last few weeks, ever since he missed a little bit of time with a wrist injury in Pittsburgh, the numbers haven't been there. It's been a struggle for him. Now, we did see him get three hits on Tuesday. One to left, one to center, one to right. Uh, some really good contact. Um, and we know he's working on some things, but what do you make of Vlad Jr. and where he is at right now? Yeah, it's, it's, it is, it was, wherever we're at after the three-hit performance, a legitimate slump. Uh, one of the worst of his career, if not the worst. Like, the number's a little bit skewed by hitting a grand slam off a first baseman, right? Uh, but it, I, to me, with, with Vlad, and I do think there could be some residual stuff with the wrist, with the knee. Um, we went over this a couple weeks ago, like how 
frequently Vlad has played over the last several seasons, like uh, across baseball, not just in context of the Blue Jays, globally across MLB, one of the highest workloads of any player in the sport. Doesn't play the most demanding position. I get it. He has his DH days, but he's, he works a lot. <laughs> There's a lot of mileage uh, on the odometer for him in spite of his age. So like, I do wonder about some of that stuff and how it could be contributing. But for me, when it comes down with his Vlad, it's just, it's swing decisions, man. Like it's what he's swinging at. It's how in between is he? It's, it's how much is he expanding the zone? It's early count swing decisions. It's being willing to take even a pitch that's like, shadow zone on the edge taking that and falling behind 0-1 and being okay with that and saying that's not my pitch to drive and getting to the pitch that he can um it's certainly not expanding obviously which we still saw him do a little bit on tuesday in a two-strike count high fastball yeah so i think so much of it for him is just mentality mindset between the years like that's you know bobachette talked to shy davidi the other day about that and about how like their conversation in the dugout that everybody saw on the broadcast was really just about mentality and about mindset, about aggressiveness. You look at all the people who are having conversations with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. right now. Like we, you know, we see his uncle in town talking to him. We see John Schneider having long conversations with him. Like these are people, Bo Bichette included, who have known Vladimir Guerrero Jr. for a very long time, knew, knew him in the minor leagues, knew him coming up, know what makes him tick, know what happens when things aren't going right, know what he needs to get himself back to a place where he can be productive. And the thing with Vladdy is the talent is so natural and so innate and always there. It does seem like it is just a mindset thing at the plate and more specifically a swing decision thing at the plate that I think allows him to tap into that ability more consistently. I agree with that. And I think from the outside, watching him, we are veering into cliche territory right here. But um, it does look like he was trying to do too much. I don't know a non-cliche way to put that. Looks like he's putting too much pressure on himself. Um, like he is trying to hit everything instead of waiting and trusting that pitchers either. I mean, this is clear. They have two choices. They can walk him. Um, by avoiding the strike zone or challenge him within the strike zone. And if Vlad expands, he does those pitchers a favor by expanding uh, the the area that they can attack him in. So that is very amateur analysis. I'm sure the Blue Jays have more um, sophisticated ways of looking at these things. But to me, it just looks like he is trying to do a little too much. You look at a guy like Wilton Guerrero, who has known Vladdy as long as anyone who's involved in this process, and he's at Rogers Center hitting BP with Vlad, uh, or I should say watching Vlad take BP uh, like early, around 3 p.m. in the afternoon, like well before official BP begins, well before some players are even at the ballpark. Uh, and with Wilton, like that goes back to when Vlad was six and seven years old no i talked about this with blake on uh on blue jays talk plus just about environment and about how vlad grew up and about like the thousands upon thousands upon thousands of balls that he like hit back in the dominican republic as a literal child wilton was there uh wilton helped build this swing he knows vlad really well like he will understand not only like minor tweaks mechanically but just 
thought process for Vlad um, and what he needs to carry to the plate each night. Like I do think it's been a little bit of a frustration that Vlad has been doing very good work in the cages before games um, and really like honing in on some of the mechanical process stuff that he needs to hone in on and then not carrying that into the game and then getting into the batter's box and abandoning that plan or that approach and getting him like, as you, as you said, swinging at pitches that he shouldn't expanding the zone, getting away from all that work that transpired before the game. So it does seem like the blue Jays, Vlad, John Schneider, Boba Wilton, everyone is searching for a way to get Vlad to carry that into the game and to be his most comfortable in the batter's box, which is when he can really unlock what is what is some really preternatural talent. Incredibly talented. And I will give Vlad credit for this. It seems to me that his defense has been very good. He made a great play in Minnesota diving. Um, it seems like his focus has been there. Um, and his intensity on the bases is beyond question. I mean, he, this is a guy who runs really, really hard um, on the bases and um, brings most of the time, you know, with some exceptions, but most of the time, some good uh, game awareness and speed and intensity. So the other aspects of his game seem to be there. And as long as we're talking about Vlad and Bo and defense, like I, I want to just mention, I don't think I've seen a better defensive stretch from Bo Bichette than what we've seen in the last 10 days or so. Um, like ever. I, I think this is the best defense I've ever seen Bo play in the major leagues. Yeah, I agree with you. When's the you know last time he made an error? Really, it's hard to think of it. He he looks great out there. I mean, he's making difficult plays. He's making routine plays. Yeah, he he looks like a really good shortstop. So, um, you know, defense slumps too. There's not to say that he's going to do this all season long, but that's a good sign for the Jays. Yeah, I totally agree with you. All righty, so let's touch now on Kevin Kiermaier because his absence definitely impacts the Blue Jays defensively and offensively. We mentioned before he's been really, really good um, at the plate this season, hitting around 300, uh, OPS above 800, some sneaky power in there. And of course, we know what kind of a defender he is, how good he is on the bases. It's been a great, great start to the season. But on Saturday in Minnesota, he made a throw in the first inning that wrenched his lower right back. And he made a throw in the following inning that really confirmed for him, this is not good. He knew at that point that he was pretty compromised. He offered to John Schneider, hey, I can stay in the game. I can bunt. And the Blue Jays made the call. You're, you're coming out of this game. Dalton Varsha goes in. We all know what happens there. Um, but with respect to, to Kiermaier... He remained out of the lineup on Tuesday after the off day Monday. And this is something that connects to the hips a little bit. The lower back, he says, connects to the hips that prevented him from playing the last half of the 2022 season. So this is not an insignificant concern. He says he's optimistic that he'll be back out there soon. Um, but in the meantime, it's a, it's a real question for the Jays as to how they... Um, kind of proceed and uh, they're certainly hopeful that this absence won't be long yeah I think that what's encouraging is that uh, Kevin Kiermaier knows his body really really well at this point as a result of kind of all the physical maladies that he's dealt with um, in his career as a result of playing with a torn labrum in his hip for a very long time and playing with many other physical ailments people don't even know about uh, you know, he was telling me in, in Minneapolis, like, yeah, I've played through back tweaks that were worse than this one before. Like, this is nothing new for me. This happens from time to time. Um, I just felt like I need to nip this thing in the bud. 
and I need to not let this get any worse. So like, you're right. You know, when Kevin Kiermaier ran back to the dugout and was going to lead off the next inning, he told the Blue Jays coaching staff, hey, get somebody ready because I'm going to go up there. And I know if I swing at a ball as hard as I can, which is what every hitter is trying to do, I'm going to make this a lot worse. So I'm going to go up there and I'm going to bunt. I'm going to try to reach base, but get somebody ready to come into this game for me. So I think that that's like a really veteran, mature, advanced approach kevin kiermeyer could have played through this he tried to or he has played through it in the past but i think he's learned his body at this point to the extent that he knows look if i just give this thing 48 72 hours to calm down rest treatment kind of just get everything out of there i can hopefully avoid the il and contribute you know to my team instead of landing on the il and being missing for a month uh which you know for the blue jays look like we've been over this kevin kiermeyer has sneakily become a really important part of this team over the first two months so you know you hope that he continues like that that approach leads to him being back before long but we'll see back injuries can be tricky and just because kevin kiermeyer has gone through it that way in the past doesn't mean that he will get through it that way now with more mileage on his body and being a bit older and playing on Rogers Center turf and and this, that, and the other. Yeah, you got to play the long game to some extent. He seems to be aware of that. The Blue Jays obviously want to make sure that he's on the field for as many of their remaining games as possible. Um, And, you know, you look at the immediate trickle down from this and it's kind of manageable. I mean, Dalton Varsho... If he's your backup center fielder, and I know the two balls went off his glove in center field, but he made an awesome catch the next day. Incredible efforts to get to the wall on those two on Saturday. He is a very, very good defender. If you have him as your backup center fielder, you're in a great spot. Now, the issue to me here is that it pushes everyone else up a spot. And so Kevin Biggio kind of becomes an everyday player on this team, which you know, going into the season, you probably would have been fine with that. He has struggled, however, offensively this year. And, you know, against big velocity, against lefty pitchers, I think that is a real question that you run the risk that um, you take a hit offensively there. And you start looking at the bench and Kevin Biggio, I mean, he should be the guy in there because you look at the bench and you have Ernie Clement, Nathan Lucas, and Tyler Heineman most days. So the bench, because Kevin Kiermeyer and Danny Jansen are now temporarily at least have been unavailable the bench has gotten a bit depleted and there's not as much certainty there's not as much experience on that on that bench yeah i guess back to the depth issue that we were talking about it's funny how dalton varsho is right now sort of covering for two really important up the middle positions when you think about it it's not only center field but we're gonna see dalton varsho catch (laughs) at some point here honestly he's not gonna start a game at catcher but we're gonna see him enter a game as a catcher like it has been this close if you're watching on video right now my uh index finger and my thumb are held very closely (laughs) together it has been this close at multiple occasions just over the last week like there was extra innings against the orioles uh in in minneapolis like dalton varsha legitimately had the pads on like was strapping them on in the tunnel like because with like Tyler Heineman on this team, like he's not somebody who you're going to want to see that many plate appearances, but Alejandro Kirk can't 
catch as much as he has been over the last week or so because um, of workload concerns there that have like become quite evident over his time as as a Blue Jays. So like I really do think that this coaching staff is going to get into a scenario late in the game, tight game, extra innings, whatever it is, where they're going to be throwing Dalton Varsha behind the plate. And he ha- he hasn't caught since the second last day of spring training when he caught a bullpen just to like remind himself what it feels like. I've talked to him about it. He's said like this isn't something that I'm like continually working on throughout the year. I'm not regularly catching bullpens. It's not going to look perfect when I'm back there. It's not going to look excellent. The framing, the blocking, the receiving, like it's not all going to be like you're not going to see Dalton Varsho, I think, atop some of those catcher metrics on on baseball savant. I think even to the eye test, it's not going to look excellent. But he, you know, Varsho is enough of an athlete that I think he he will be playable back there. It's interesting when he threw out somebody at third in the Minnesota series on that uh, bloop to center. His exchange on that play was like 0.59 seconds, you know. So that's like from glove, like from getting the ball to throwing it half a second like this guy is fast this guy's an athlete a lot of that comes from catching so that a lot of that is still going to be there he says it's going to be like riding a bike he's never going to forget how to do what got him to the big leagues but it's not something he's consistently working on right now uh and in spite of that i think we're going to see him behind the plate pretty soon well there's a craft to it obviously there's so much that goes into catching and he's just not working on that because he has other obligations like playing center field and hitting um against major league pitching every night so yeah it it could be a rusty look um if it happens but he's a pro i mean even here you know you and i were talking to him in the clubhouse after those two near home runs and you know he just seems uh really even keeled with this stuff and that can be a plus in the course of a long season if something doesn't go his way then he seems pretty uh well adjusted to be able to move on from that that's a positive i've been so impressed with his mental approach this year getting traded new environment like that is always unsettling and uncomfortable learning you know how the blue jays do things first trade in his life all the expectations that were placed on him um you know for who he was traded for and then like hitting up in the blue jays lineup over the first um six weeks or so of the season you know scuffling going through a slump not feeling his best at the plate having a very obvious area in his swing that was being exploited um just like the increased demands media wise in toronto from arizona which is a very real thing like just everything that's been on this guy's plate this year and to your point he is so consistent every day you talk to him after things go well and you talk to him after things do not go well and he is the same guy and he has the same mental approach like Dalton Varsho is just he is such a pro and I feel like I've been around this game enough and I've gone to know enough players and I've been in enough clubhouses that I can kind of speak to this now that like I, can, I know a pro when I see a pro <laughs> and Dalton Varsho is a pro I've been so impressed with his mental approach and I know that Blue Jays fans haven't necessarily gotten the chance to like get to know him that well yet just because he is kind of a reserved guy he's quiet um he doesn't put himself out there a lot but trust me when I say like this is somebody who you want on your team this is somebody who you want in your clubhouse who you want contributing around your organization like this is a a pro and I have been so impressed with that yeah I mean to your point we spoke to him after the game Saturday after the game Sunday one was a loss where he literally bounced a home run off his glove over the wall one was a win where he had been an essential part of that win 
it was essentially the same conversation as far as like tone. That's always interesting and a credit to him. So last thing here on on At The Letters uh, for this week, at least, is to take a look at the Blue Jays catching situation absent Danny Jansen. Of course, they would rather not have to pull Dalton Varsha in if they can avoid it. And that means a very heavy dose of Alejandro Kirk, who in 2022 maxed out at three consecutive games behind the plate, three consecutive days catching. Already, since Jansen went on the injured list, we saw the Blue Jays catch Kirk on five consecutive days. So they are showing a willingness to push him a little bit harder because they really need him right now. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how sustainable this is. The Blue Jays are considering Danny Jansen week to week. So uh, we'll see how quickly he's able to get back. He shut down baseball activities entirely, I believe, aside from maybe just throwing. So he's probably going to need a rehab assignment when he comes back just to kind of test things out with the groin and get back up to speed. So there's like a lot of pressure on Alejandro Kirk right now. There's already a lot of pressure on him offensively with how he had begun the year and just the ground ball rate, the way that he was coming open in his swing, um, not demonstrating a ton of power, not demonstrating that right center field approach that we're so used to from him. And now there's a ton of pressure on him defensively to like have a good tempo with uh with Alec Manoa, right? To um, you know, get Yusei Kikuchi to lean on his fastball and to be effectively wild, to help Jose Barrios tunnel his pitches effectively, you know, to like receive pitches in a way that isn't tipping and in a way that isn't giving things away to the opposition, which has been an issue for the Blue Jays. So there's like a lot of pressure on Alejandro Kirk going forward, a lot of expectations, a lot of responsibility on his plate. And the reality is he's a much better hitter than Tyler Heineman. And look, Tyler Heineman, he has he doesn't have an easy job right now. Um, no, not saying otherwise, appearing occasionally, trying to hit major league pitching, that is not an easy job. But Alejandro Kirk, I mean, his bat plays against Major League Pitching. We saw that again Tuesday. Um, his, I think his bat's starting to heat up. I think he's starting to get back to where he needs to be offensively. And that means he's so much of a better option than a Heineman that that's going to really be tempting. It's going to be hard to, you know, of course you have to do it. You know, I would anticipate day game after a night game against the Brewers. Heinemann catches one of those games, probably catches the Wednesday game because that's Kevin Gosman's scheduled start. So you're going to find times, maybe it's a couple days a week that Heinemann is in there, but Kirk probably ends up catching five days a week, maybe four days a week at least. Yeah, the advantage that Heinemann has is that he was in this organization last year, so he understands kind of the process, the pregame work, like how information kind of flows. Um, like he might not have the most familiarity with a Chris Bassett and how he likes his catchers to set up or receive pitches. And, you know, Chris Bassett's all kind of about lanes and all about presentation and targets and things like that. Um, so like, he's going to have to learn some of that stuff on the fly, but he at least is familiar with like what the pitch recs are going to look like on his armband and, you know, kind of how pregame advanced meetings run, just the scheduling, all that. And there's like, I don't think any questioning, Tyler Heineman's like eagerness to you know take this on and I think he'll do a very good job defensively but yeah you're right Alejandro Kirk's a much better hitter so like we're gonna see some interesting I think 
pinch hit substitutions late in games and the Blue Jays need a, a big swing. Um, and then when it comes down to, well, do we throw Kirk back behind the dish right now? Uh, or do we want to be really careful with his workload? I just really think Dalton Varsho's day behind the plate is is coming. Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting because the other side of this is if you push Kirk too hard, then you're in a really bad situation. So they have to walk that line. Um, we will follow it very closely, of course, as these developments continue here. Um, but for now, this is it for us on At The Letters. Arden, thanks to you as always. And thanks as well to our producers, Mike Rogerson and as well, Nick Andrade. Thanks to you for listening. Remember, you can find At The Letters wherever you find your podcast. You can also find it on YouTube. You can also review us, give us ratings, give us some comments. We always appreciate that. Stick with us here on At The Letters as the season continues.